Take your Bibles tonight, join me in Ephesians chapter 6, as we continue our series through this epistle. We are currently considering children obey. That should make everyone in here happy, because none of you are children anymore. Did somebody say hallelujah? <laughs> Amen. I don't think you could get me to go back and be a teenager again. Uh, even though I was pretty cool, I, I mean, uh, totally. <laughs> yeah, we're not showing pictures of those those days. Yeah, I don't want to go back to those days. But children obey. We talked about the need for godly children, and last week we talked about the need for obedience. The need for obedience is because our children must learn to respect authorities in their life. Parental authority teaches children that there is always someone higher that they're going to answer to. There's always somebody above you. Amen. I don't care if you're the president. There is always somebody above you. And so we've got to teach obedience for that reason because it gets critically important when a child is confronted with God. How can we expect children to obey that um, he who they have never seen when they won't respect and obey those who they do see? And we have to keep that in mind. Will they obey God when He comes calling? Children who have learned obedience to earthly authorities will more naturally go on to obey the ultimate heavenly authority. And we, we know there's exceptions to everything. But obedience teaches that children, they learn to understand there's consequences. Amen. There are consequences for our actions. And we have to make sure we're instilling that in them. That when we expect them to obey and they don't. There's a consequence. Immediate obedience. I'm going to get ahead of myself. I can already feel it. But when I say get upstairs and do whatever I say. It doesn't mean after your battlefront game. For those who don't know, it's an Xbox thing. And if you don't know what that is, just forget about it. <laughs> and when it's said, it needs to be obeyed. And we have to teach that to our children. I remember, before you think I'm a wacko, that's actually something Dave Summerdorf taught, that you test their obedience. You test their heart by waiting until they're engaged in something that you know they love. And you say, come here. And you'll find out where their heart's at. Now, I'm not saying it's not okay to say, hey, is it okay if I finish this? No, I need you to come here. Okay. Well, in my house, yes, sir. But everybody's got their own preference. I have to constantly tell one of my kids, I do not hear or respond or answer to head nods. I think it's because my dad slapped me silly so many times for trying that. So, there's consequences. One day, listen, one day we will all stand before Christ. And we will give an account for the life we've lived. And so we have to instill accountability early in our children's lives. 
There was a season a while back in, in the country, recent, recent memory here, when remember when all that was in the news was how the police were supposedly mistreating minorities. And we saw time and time again people who were maybe dying in custody, mistreated when they were arrested, riots were breaking out, all this kind of stuff was being said, riots were taking place, and it was in the national news, it seemed, all the time. But I noticed this, in each and every single case, every time, the incident blew up because the officer went to somebody and said, I need you to do this, and they said no. No respect for authority, no obedience to authority. And we have to teach our children, listen, uh, there's, remember I closed out last week and I said there's times, it doesn't matter if somebody's being disrespectful or not, there's a time that we obey. And when all that was going on, it was like, once you got the full story, it was like, well, we told him to get down. I don't want to get down. Well, now we have to force you down. Everybody remember all that? And it's, it's like there's absolutely no respect for obedience, no respect for authority. I don't know how people get to that point in their life. I, when a cop who has a gun and a taser tells me to do something, I do it. It doesn't even take that. It could be Andy Griffith with no gun. Somebody will say, well, you're a white guy. You don't know what it's like to be racially profiled and all that. I know what it's like to be profiled. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. When we lived in Mississippi on the Gulf Coast, I'll tell you, profiling is real. I understand that. Uh, I, I've, got a, I've got a hoopty car. It's a Honda CRX, 1988 CRX. It's just a, I call it the ministry mobile. 45 miles to the gallon, point A to point B. It's just an engine with tires, amen? And it doesn't have any heat. And so when I was driving it around in Mississippi in the winter, I had to wear like warm clothes and I'd always have a hoodie on and sunglasses. And, and I kid you not, I could not pass a cop in Mississippi with that hoodie on driving that junky car without getting pulled over. And it was really getting old. And so I, cop would come up and he was like, uh, you realize you drove on the yellow line of my road? And I, well, I didn't know it was your road. Uh, I didn't say that. Uh, I said, no, sir. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I just treated him with respect. They found out I was just a, a doofus, and they let me go about my business. But uh, listen, uh, what do you have in the car? And they want to inspect the car. They want, they want to make sure you're not carrying anything. And, and I get it, but we have to make sure we're being respectful to authority, that we're obeying authority. Um, imagine if I would have just said, uh, you know, I really don't care what you're looking for. I don't care what you're doing. I'm out of here. <laughs> that probably wouldn't end too well. And uh, anyway... So sometimes we're, we're given a lawful order. We just need to follow it. Now, let's see. Instead of those back there in the news uh, blowing up and, and bowing up against authority, they should have just cooperated. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And I know that uh, some of our police officers are under a lot of stress. I'm not justifying it. Well, let's begin this week by reading verses 1 through 3 
of Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. I finished last week by asking the question, when does obedience to parents start? And the answer I gave was, it begins when they're back there in diapers. Why is this so? Well, Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Job 15.14 says, What is man that he should be clean, and he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Why does child training begin when they're in diapers? Because that precious little life that God has blessed you with is a sinner. <laughs> Some of you must have perfect kids. There we go. None of us were born righteous. And outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be nobody born righteous. I don't consider myself an optimist. I don't consider myself a pessimist. I call myself a realist. What does that mean? Well, when my first child was born, I remember holding her in my arms, thinking the day's going to come when this precious little girl, whose life is completely dependent upon me and her mom, is going to talk back to me. Isn't that right? Because... We're born with a sin nature. And I just thought, how sad is that? That one day I'm going to get attitude. I knew the reality that this wonderful gift from God had also inherited a horrible sin nature from Adam. And that one day that sin nature would rear its ugly head and become clearly known. Now, how did I know that? Two reasons. Number one, the Bible teaches this. Number two, I'm still learning to die to my old nature. And if I'm fighting it, I know they're going to fight it. And I want to tell you that their sin nature is manifested right away in life. And for good measure, back in the day, they used to hang you upside down and spank you as soon as you came out. I don't know. I don't, they don't do that anymore, do they? I remember my sister was born in uh, Korea and, uh, and don't worry, it wasn't like one of those graphic uh, birthing videos, thank God. But, yeah. And I remember my younger sister was born in the dock, just... I'm like, yeah. That's the last time she got a spanking, because she was the youngest. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll edit that, just in case she's listening, although I doubt it. Anyway. It's manifested right away. Uh, where do I get that from? Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Some parents don't like that verse, and therefore they question the wisdom of it. But this is so important to understand because a major mistake parents make these days is they refuse to discipline their child until they believe they can, quote-unquote, reason with them. There's a couple of issues with this line of thinking. First, at what age do you determine that they are now 
able to be reasoned with. <laughs> what did somebody say? Yeah. <laughs> Come and see me afterwards. Uh, also, <laughs> children understand far more than we give them credit for. So here's the issue. You have this new parent, their first child, they see all the innocence in that life, and so they neglect the fact that there's something brewing inside. There's a wicked sin nature that is starting to manifest itself, but right now it's kind of hidden. It's not dealt with. And because the child is seen differently today than the Bible sees children, the parent does not see the need for obedience yet. They can't possibly see how that little child, all wrapped up, sleeping peacefully, could possibly come from the womb speaking lies. But the Bible says that they're liars from the womb. Newborns are fairly simple. They need to be fed. They need to be burped. They need to be warm. They need to have a clean diaper. They don't like to have like uncomfortable gas. That's about it. If just one of those areas gets out of whack, that baby's going to let you know. <laughs> it doesn't care what time of day. You're going to know about it. They're going to scream their head off. Now, first-time mothers, especially stay-at-home moms, they love to have that baby with them as much as possible. They'll carry, her, carry them around in those goofy little sling-looking things. Um, look like they should be in, like, Jungle Book or something. And they <laughs> take naps with their little baby and with them all the time, and life's good. And, uh, man, they're having the time of their life. But then night falls. Baby gets a new diaper. They're fed. They're burped. They're not gassy. They're warm. You lay that precious little child down in the crib, and a few minutes later, what happens? You hear baby crying their lungs out. So you go to check and see what's going on, and just as soon as you pick them up, they stop crying. But to be safe, you go through the list. They have a full stomach. They don't have a dirty diaper. They're warm. You try burping them just to be safe. There's no burps. You lay them back down. And don't you know it? Just the time you lay them down and walk away, that little ball of sunshine starts screaming their head off again. So you go back over, you pick baby up, and the screaming stops. Everybody with me? What's happening in this scenario? That baby has come from the womb speaking lies. And there's nary a thing wrong with it. But they're speaking lies. They're making you believe that their world is in peril. Amen. And now, who's training who? Well, I knew this wouldn't go over well in 2020. Who's learning obedience from who? Looks like to me the baby's the one demanding obedience from the parents. And the baby's the one that's training the parents how to react. Many times all that baby wanted was to be held. 
Nothing was wrong with them except they have a sin nature and they came from the womb speaking lies. And when a parent refuses to admit that that fact, they end up waiting until their child is older to begin dealing with their disobedience. They conclude that, well, you can't reason with them yet, so they wait for a more convenient season. And their child begins to grow. And here's how the scenario is going to play out in many cases. As baby starts to grow, they'll throw a temper tantrum of of some degree, and mom and dad will look at that and they'll laugh and go, that's so cute. I'm not telling you my my opinion. I'm telling you stuff I've seen. And they'll just look at that and they'll go, man, that's, that's just cute. And they'll kind of poke fun at it. Many times grandparents are the worst because they're looking at that going, <laughs> you're reaping what you sowed. <laughs> baby keeps growing and they begin to act out a little bit more. Baby will dis- disobey a command and now they'll make some kind of gesture with their face. Some kind of body language displaying their distaste for your commands, for you wanting their obedience, not liking your authority in their life. And the parent will laugh and say, that's so cute. Baby keeps growing and now they've learned to say a few things. When baby disobeys, they throw their tantrum, they show their disobedient body language and now they say, no. Or depending on how much they can talk, they might add some other phrases in there. And parents still think it's cute and funny. And this behavior, which is an indicator of what's brewing inside their heart, it's laughed at, it's dismissed as their cute little personality, all the way until preschool and grade school. And what happens at this stage is parents start spending less and less time with their child because... They're away at school at a very early age, and so they, they still find some of these antics somewhat humorous, somewhat cute, part of their personality, and all unbeknownst to them, the depths of that disobedience and rebellious heart is taking root, and it's about to be unleashed. And what they once chalked up to a cute personality starts to grow more and more annoying As they progress in age, they go into more grades. And now the parent finds themselves yelling at their child because they're frustrated. There's a lack of obedience and they're mad. And parent and child begin to argue more and more. And in some cases, it's starting to get violent. And then that once precious little baby you held in your arms back there 11 to 14 years earlier starts to go through puberty and then all of a sudden you've got a monster on your hands because what's been brewing inside is now unleashed. And now they're controlling your emotions. A child should never control your emotions. Amen. They're still training you to react years later. You reacted to them back then when they were in the cradle in a comforting way, but now you're reacting to their behavior in an angry way. And now there's chaos in the home because the children have never been made to obey. And in almost every case, it's not only causing strain between parents and child, but it's causing a major strain between husband and wife. 
And now husband and wife are starting to use terms that should never enter their vocabulary in marriage. And they're talking about separations and divorce. All because they can't get 100 pounds under control. And I'm telling you, if you let it get to this point, and your child's in public school, you probably lost the battle. Because that child's being taught today that if God-fearing parents exercise what this Bible says to do, they can have you locked up. So what's the Bible say to do? <laughs> Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. That which begins to grow in the hidden places of the heart and will unleash itself one day if unchecked, it is to be driven out by the rod of correction. To be absolutely clear, not God, not the Bible, and not your pastor agrees with child abuse. It's wrong, and that should never happen. Okay, we're not talking about that. However, proper corporal punishment is what God instructs us. And I'm well aware that this goes against modern philosophy on child rearing. In fact, some Bible versions are taking those kind of verses and they're changing them to weaken the verbiage. One of the worst versions out there is called the Message Bible. And what the Message Bible says in Proverbs 22.15 is, Young people are prone to foolishness and fads. The cure comes through tough-minded discipline. Well, that completely changes what the Masoretic Hebrew text has from which our King James Bible is taken, at least our Old Testament. Instead of foolishness being bound in the heart of a child, now some of these Bibles are saying that young people, they're just prone to it. By saying that foolishness is something that you're prone to, it just means that they're likely to suffer from it. The King James Bible says it's bound in the heart of a child. Which means this, it's absolutely certain. It's woven. It's who they are. It's their sin nature because we're born with it. We're conceived in sin. And it's at the very center of them. It's firmly fixed. And it has to be driven out. And because they're born with it, it's rooted in their nature. We know this to be true of our children because this is how we were. And they were created in our image. After the flood, Noah built an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. The Lord said in his heart in Genesis 8.21, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Did you know no parent has ever had to teach their children to lie? No parent has ever had to instruct their children how to sin. It's, it's natural. We have to teach our children godly principles. Right? Don't believe me? Ask our nursery workers. They're born selfish. Mine. They didn't pay for that thing. <laughs> we don't have to teach them bad habits. To illustrate how much this subject has changed through the years, 
I decided to read to you some of the commentaries I read from the 1700s on this subject because I thought it would be interesting to hear how they uh, thought of, of the passage about driving foolishness out with a rod. Listen to, uh, to some of these and just think about how things have changed culturally. John Gill wrote this, The rod used by parents for the correction of sin and folly is a means of making children wise and of restraining the folly that is bound up in them and of reclaiming them from those sinful ways which the folly of their hearts leads them to do and so in some measures of driving it far from them. Matthew Poole wrote, The smart of punishment makes him weary of his sin and watchful against it. Matthew Henry wrote that correction is necessary to the cure of it. Talking about foolishness. It will not be got out by fair means and gentle methods. There must be strictness and severity. And that which will cause grief. Children need to be corrected and kept under discipline by their parents. Now why is this so important? Is it just to have obedient children? Well that's nice and that's a help. Amen. Um, I mean, we, we bribed our children. We said, hey, if we go out somewhere and there's a family that compliments you, we'll go get you an ice cream. But that was a dumb thing to say. Cost us a lot of money in ice cream. Not knowing that everybody else just lets their kids run around the tables. And it's always funny because you walk in a restaurant like, oh, here's this family with four kids. But it's more than that. I mean, that's part of it. But we must teach our children through our expectation of obedience and our correction of them that there is a heavenly father who corrects us as well. You see, it's all got to go back to God. Every time there's correction and discipline, it's got to be tied back in with godly principle. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby." Now, it's clear from that passage a lot of things, but one thing that kind of jumps out to me is that God expects fathers to chasten their children. Because it says, For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? It was just understood. And listen, it's for our correction. It's to teach us reverence. It's not pleasurable by any means. But it does yield the fruit of righteousness. And so correction is absolutely necessary in the life of a child because it's certain it's going to happen in the life of the child of God. And we have to teach them that what I do is not because I dislike you, 
but I want to correct you and you understand that you're going to give an account to Almighty God and when you give your heart to God, He's going to discipline those who are His. You might as well get used to it now. And we've got to understand and let them know, look, there's a reverence that's involved here. We'll get into that in verse 2. There's a reverence that takes place as a result of children obeying. They have to learn to reverence their father. Because you need to reverence your heavenly father. And if there's one thing I can say, I don't know how, how you guys came up, but I reverenced my father. Amen. I know what it's like to grow up in a home where dad don't play around. And I can tell you, I revered my father. And now we're, we're best friends. I love him to death. And so we have to show our children that, listen, there's a reverence that's involved. God says, I'm going to chasten you because I want you to be holy. And that should be what we want for our children. We want them to go on to live holy, godly lives. But it has to start all the way back here. When we tell them, you're not going to buck against authority. And so it's absolutely necessary. It yields fruit of righteousness. Peaceable fruit. Is everybody with me tonight? Let me read to you some passages from the Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 13. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. I tease my dad now, that was his favorite verse. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 26.3 says, A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now for any who may disagree with what's being said tonight, how do you intend to explain that away? You can't. It's Bible. And again, we're not talking about abuse. I'll get into that more next week. I don't think you should ever bruise your kids. But we'll talk about that next week. There's no way to explain those passages away biblically. You either agree or you disagree. And we need to agree with God. Not the world's opinion and the world's philosophy. I don't think I want to try to get into this next thought. But next week, I'll, I'll give you my opinion on what that looks like. Just my opinion. We'll discuss the difference between obedience and willing obedience. Because there's a huge difference. You can beat a kid into submission and lose their heart. And so there's a big difference. And, and by the way, that's both in our children and in every child of God. God wants you willingly obedient. And so we'll, we'll try to get into those things. I'll have to cut it there for tonight. Let's pray.